just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. When talking about Disney princesses for the last few weeks, I've highlighted very briefly how complex they are. Depending on who you ask, they can be beacons for female representation and showing the power of dreaming. Or they are anti-women figures used only to hawk Disney merch at young impressionable viewers. Like I said, very complex. This week in our penultimate episode on a month-long deep dive into the world of Disney princesses, we are assessing the good, the bad, and the misunderstood about them. So if that sounds good to you, let's get started. So as you can probably tell from the title of this episode, this is in opposition of and defense for Disney princesses. So we're going to split this episode into two halves. So we're going to begin with the opposition of. Now, I think the peak of the opposition of Disney princesses really did kind of come in the 2000s slash 2010s. Um, Lindsay Ellis has a really great video that dives more specifically into like revisiting The Little Mermaid, the 1989 version, which if you're interested in a production history of The Little Mermaid 1989, I did a whole episode that was like 40 minutes last week on it. And I think it's pretty great. But the, she has an episode kind of just revisiting the film and discussing how much of the 2000s and 2010s was marked by like this pop feminism movement, which is this idea of showing that the Disney princesses are, you know, not as like, I guess, aspirational as they were made to seem mainly because like in highlighting that they are not great representations of body image and they reinforce harmful gender stereotypes. Um, and I think there is definitely some validity to that, but I'm going to talk about that particular subsect of criticism in my defense section. But I do want to talk about one thing that is pretty heavily perpetuated by the Disney princesses and wasn't really remedied uh, or really hasn't been remedied at all, um, but was attempted to be remedied um, not until the the 90s, which is the idea of whiteness as beauty and basically how race and the princesses function. So what I mean by that is that much of the princesses that we immediately associate with this Disney princess brand are mainly the white ones, especially if you're asking a majority white audience. Not many of them, I don't think, are going to be saying like Mulan, Tiana, um, Moana, Raya, people like that. Like, they could. Not saying that if you're white and you, you can't be a fan of these princesses, clearly you can. But most of the princesses that people kind of push into the lexicon that we associate with the Disney princesses tend to be Belle, Ariel, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. We tend to associate this idea of a princess with a princess who is thin and, and white more often than not. And there was a really interesting um, study that was done by sociologists and it's highlighted in a great NPR article from 2019. So it's a little bit old, but I think it's still uh, worth a read. And the sociologist's name was Charu Upal. I'm hoping that I pronounced their name correctly. Um, but they were studying the effects of Disney princesses on girls internationally um, and kind of getting some, some like, 
studies and case studies from girls ages 8 to 15 um, from five different countries. So the U.S., China, Fiji, India, and Sweden. And they asked questions of these girls like who who is a princess and what age did you start watching Disney princess films and do you think you could be a princess? And ultimately, many of the girls, um, much like a lot of people who, you know, especially grew up in, in Western countries, are probably very familiar with Disney princesses and have been watching Disney princess films since they were babies. And one interesting finding from the study comes in that 63 of the princess drawings, they were also asked, they also asked the girls to draw a princess. Um, 63 of the princess drawings from girls in Fiji, India, and Sweden, 61 out of those 63 depicted a light-skinned princess. And I think this finding kind of reinforces the idea of like whiteness as as beauty um because the article touches on like two of these countries that have a very deep history of colonization especially by um england and other similar european countries there is a deep rooted idea of whiteness as as beauty and that seeps into pretty much every facet of society still and I think we see it a lot in in the Disney princesses where, you know, a lot of people who grow up watching these princesses, not whether consciously or subconsciously, associate this idea of royalty and princesses with one very specific image. Um, and the only real differences between them is like their hair color. Um, and maybe maybe I might be saying something controversial. I in my own opinion, don't as a woman of color, don't particularly see uh, a lack of diversity in hair color as quite the biggest proponent of um, diversity. But that's just me. That's just me. You know what I mean? Um, my first thought as I was a black woman is, well, change your hair color. You know what I'm saying? But that is just me. If you think differently, you were more than entitled to that opinion. If you like it, I love it. But getting back to this, um, there's definitely this 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 notion um, on a global scale that these princesses kind of perpetuate one idea. And it also seeps into, you know, the idea that a lot of it is very Western influence, which makes a lot of sense uh, because the U.S., which is the producer of these princess images, even though these princesses have narrative roots in other countries um like in germany and you know like uh france and th things like that they're still kind of just considered to be american princesses because they are produced by an american company there was another piece of the study that from those uh girls who drew the pictures many of them didn't draw the princesses in like traditional garb of their home country um so from the girls in India who are drawing princesses, they drew them in like Western princess garb, which is basically just mirroring um, the Disney princesses. And also for full clarity here, the questions were not asking them about Disney princesses specifically. So they weren't asked to draw a Disney princess. They were just asked to draw a princess in general. And it just shows how pervasive the idea of a princess is. And that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing because if it's only one image and one idea of a princess being pushed, then, you know, 
that's not that great because the world is not indicative of of that one image. You know, there are so many different facets of people that may not be getting represented in that way. And so I think the strongest oppositional point for Disney princesses to me is the racial context of them. Even going into the movies themselves specifically, we get our first princess of color with Jasmine in 1992's Aladdin. And while Jasmine has a lot of positive attributes, she's very headstrong. She knows what she wants. She's a go-getter. Um, there are definitely many harmful stereotypes that are baked into her character, one of which is that one particular scene uh, with Jafar towards the end. Um, she's re- wearing that like red get up. You know which scene I'm talking about. Um, it can be, it's a bit harmful, a little bit harmful, very much so harmful, in fact. Um, the next princess we get is Pocahontas in 1995's Pocahontas. And that movie has more problems than I can even begin to unpack right now. But I think with Pocahontas specifically aging up her character, uh, which is not a negative of who the real Pocahontas was. I think the real Pocahontas was like 12 or 13. And in the movie, she's definitely presented as like maybe like 18, like 17 or 18. Um, But there's just a lot of a lot of stereotypes that begin to get caked up in a lot of the princesses of color. And it begs the question of what type of representation, Um, like not all representation is good representation in that kind of way, Um, because then the next princess we get is Mulan. And then after that, we have Tiana. And I think the biggest she is kind of the focal point of what I'm talking about, whereas this like slippery slope um, a slippery slope and kind of lack of intersectionality when talking about uh, Disney princesses. So Tiana on the surface is a great princess, but when you take a little bit of a deeper dive into it, and I remember when I saw the princess and the frog for the first time um, when I was 10, I was so excited because I was like, finally, we're getting a black Disney princess. And I remember watching the movie and feeling like, I didn't feel the same as I did when I saw even Aladdin or, you know, Belle in Beauty and the Beast or Ariel. Like, Tiana just felt like a character that just constantly went through bad things. And eventually she made it out on the other end, you know, getting her prince and getting her restaurant and everything. But she was this she is the princess who like she's the working princess like she works these jobs so that she can achieve her dream whereas most other princesses they also have dreams but they're kind of just presented with the opportunity to go after them whereas tiana is presented with the opportunity to go after it only if she works incredibly hard works herself to the bone to the point of full exhaustion to try and make this dream happen and then before she can truly ever fully embark on that dream she gets turned into a frog and I don't need to go into how harmful it is that for a movie called the princess and the frog said princess spends the most of the movie as a frog like I have never fully been the biggest fan of the movie itself because of how much time Tiana spends as a frog and I think it it goes into it there's been a lot of articles in the past couple of years that have talked about this kind of either conscious or up or subconscious trend of 
characters of color getting turned into animals or just getting turned into other beings um, and not being able to spend time in their of color selves, mainly like black characters being able to remain as black characters. And I think this movie is really indicative of that. Like it bothered me to no end that Tiana is the one who has to spend most of the movie as as a frog in order to, I guess, learn the lesson of slowing down and enjoying life, which I feel like every other princess was able to do that just fine in their human forms, you know? And I just, I don't know, it just, it always, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I'm glad that now girls and anyone who's a fan of, of Disney princesses can grow up with a more complex and nuanced look at the at the princesses. I'm glad that Tiana's getting a bit of a, a refresh and a bit of a second look, um, not with her just in her frog form, but with her in her her full, you know, human form and exploring Tiana the person, because um, I think it's really important to see like we representation only goes as far as as you as the love and care and attention that you put into it you know like i think we deserve to ask more of these figures that we are especially presenting to children we deserve to ask more of those characters and we deserve to ask more of the complexities of them and the nuances of them like we deserve to dive into that a little bit more um and I think ultimately, like, it's been a bit harmful as far as the racial aspect of these princesses go. Now, I think more often than not, this exploration of the negatives of Disney princesses tends to happen, not really when you're a child, but when you're an adult. Like, I think it's when you sit and you think about these movies, and you're like, oh, you know, that's not the best lesson in the world I probably shouldn't have been watching that or you, you go back and you're like actually this is a little bit better than I remember it being as a kid and I think that's the the whole issue with with talking about Disney princesses is you you're having to either retroactively go back and think about these things or you're watching it as an adult and an adult lens of watching anything offers a completely different perspective because you're not, you don't have the brain and the emotional maturity that you had when you were a kid watching it as an adult, like you, you're going to approach it as an adult. And I think that's what presents the most issues, I guess, um, with, with talking about, with talking about Disney princesses. I think there was also a bigger, a very big emphasis on the kind of the beauty of the princess and the idea that she is this like completely infallible like totally blemish free <laughs> being and i i go back and forth on on if this is a good or a bad thing it's it's objectively so it's a bad thing um but also most of the people watching these movies haven't reached puberty yet and so the idea of a, a princess going through puberty might not hit until they're a little bit older. Like, I don't know if a preschooler is going to understand the complexities of, you know, your growing and changing body um, via a princess at that age. So I understand why they look like that. Um, but it, it reminds me of a story that I told last week during the Little Mermaid episode where um, the one of the lead animation supervisors for Ariel um Glenn Keane was talking to two of his mentors 
And um, they were animators in the era of Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. And they told him that certain sequences of the film, Ariel kind of looked a little bit like, I guess not as picturesque. I wouldn't call her ugly because she's still incredibly gorgeous throughout the entirety of the film. There's no point where she just looks decrepit or anything like that. But they described that there were certain sequences where Ariel didn't look the most like beautiful and gorgeous and stunning. And they were like, well, you know, if they were basically saying that from their perspective, when they were creating Cinderella and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, they were all about, you know, depicting her as a princess. Princesses are gorgeous. Princesses are stunning. They can only look this way. And I think that that reinforces that negative, you know, body image stereotype um, of always being gorgeous and always being stunning and everything like that. And so there was definitely in Glenn Keane to wrap up that story, Glenn Keane talked about in that interview when he was looking back on it, he was like, I never really approached you know, animating Ariel as always having to be stunning and gorgeous all the time. Like I wanted her to feel like a a person. I wanted her to feel organic. And so if there was something that she didn't like, like she would make a face as if she didn't like it. Um, If she was thinking, she would have a thinking face. Like there would be an emphasis on making her look and feel like a real person versus just her being kind of like it being a sequence of of static stills of her looking gorgeous and stunning every single time. Like there was a bigger emphasis on depicting her as a person. Um, And so, yeah, I think from the racial angle and the body image angle, the princesses definitely present a very complex and nuanced issue um, because there are so many discussions of, 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 body image and just like the harmful effects of growing up watching things that may reinforce some negative thoughts within yourself. Um, In March, I did a whole month-long deep dive into the idea of the teenage girl and a lot of that, a lot of the episodes around that were deconstructing and unpacking some of the harmful things that we indulged in as as teenagers and the things that we are now as adults beginning to break down for the first time and say like hey I should not have been watching that that made me feel so horrible and I do think the Disney princesses have a position in that conversation I think it's something worth worth talking about because they are not infallible you know like there are definitely some harmful sides of of the disney princesses and those are discussions that are are worth having so we leave the the opposition and we go to the defense and i think much of the defense is less defending the princesses as they are but more defending them in the context of the conversations around them. So like I mentioned at the top of the episode, the um, YouTube video from Lindsay Ellis talking about um, the Little Mermaid and she spends a lot of time revisiting the the pop feminism, especially internet movement of the 2000s and 2010s. And a lot of that is marked by, um, the, and she mentions it in the video, but a lot of that is marked by like 
video parodies about like these are what the princesses are really saying and a lot of it stems about you know like I'm a princess and I don't I like didn't have a lot of autonomy in my own movie and I changed my my looks and my personality for a man and I think much of that is a very shallow reading of of the princesses this is less from like a feminism point of view and more from a media literacy point of view i think a lot of disney princess films uh become the fodder of really bad media literacy readings <laughs> and i've never been one to be like oh media literacy is so dead people are so dumb blah, 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 blah. because media literacy is hard it's it's not something that's formally taught like you kind of get the inklings of it in English class but to bring it to the fold of talking about it in the space of film and television that's not something that's formally taught so I understand why there is a difficulty when reading media in the form of film and tv I get that um However, it doesn't mean that it doesn't piss me off. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think a lot of those those videos and a lot of articles that kind of talk very broadly that princesses, because little girls like princesses, they won't have the mental capacity to want more for themselves is a really bad faith reading of so many of the of the like Disney princess like discourse. Like it's just a really lazy way to read these stories i think at the a couple episodes ago i mentioned that um i think it was like kira knightley mentioned that she wouldn't allow her daughter to watch cinderella which again i'm not here to tell anyone how to parent their kid you're what you watch or what you allow your kid to watch or don't watch is up to the discretion of you as their parent um but she was like i'm not gonna allow her to watch that because like she doesn't need to wait for a man to come and save her and everything like that. And I think she had a similar sentiment with the little mermaid um, with like, Oh, you don't give up your voice for a man. And ultimately, like I said, it's less to do with this as a feminist reading and more to do with this as a media literacy thing, which is like, these things didn't really happen in these movies in the way that people are talking about them. So let's take Ariel for example and again Lindsay Ellis goes into this in, in depth in her video but I want to touch on it here which is in The Little Mermaid there is an established like canon that Ariel is known for her voice for her singing voice everyone like gloats about it and talks about it it's something that is of great import right and she doesn't give it up for Eric. Eric really doesn't come along until the kind of the end, not the end, but like the middle of the film. But if you go back and listen to a song like Part of Your World, she's not saying like, I want to be a part of this specific man's world. I want to be a part of his world. I want him to fall in love with me. That's what it is part of your world is Ariel wanting to be above the sea. Like she wants to go to the world beyond her own. She wants to explore it. She's like, she's like talking about thingamabobs. She wants to talk about what's a fire and why does it burn? That has nothing to do <laughs> with, with Eric. And yes, she mentions like, you know, maybe like finding romance, but it's not Eric who is the specific object of her desire. Her desire is to like, leave the sea and go explore the world beyond the bounds of the confines of where she is like that's her that's her ambition that's her dream 
yes, I think a lot of these bad face arguments do stem from the films that do have the most problematic elements to them, like Snow White, which again, I think context is really key here. Uh, many of these films were made in the 30s, 40s, and 50s by men. So take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt because I I don't know. I think applying a modern lens to something that was not made within a modern context doesn't always bode well. Um, you're always going to find something really, really bad. And I think that temporal context plays a really key role. Like Snow White, for her time, I'm sure was not seen as this like beacon of feminism um, because she was written in the 30s. Like the the film was animated in the 30s mostly like by by men so like that is going to play a key role in how she is she is depicted but again I think it just goes back to understanding like what actually happens in these movies like within the context of the movie not broadly what you think happens in the movies like going back and as an adult watching what happens in these movies is a very key and fundamental part. And I think the issue that I have with so much of the discourse around the Disney princesses, I think so too many people read them as like vapid and, you know, surface level and basic and that they are these women without autonomy. And I think some, some princesses corroborate that, but most of them don't like Jasmine leaves her palace because she wants to live amongst the people in Agrabah that had nothing to do with Aladdin until he saved her from having her hand cut off and even then she was just kind of like oh you know this guy's cute or whatever but like she was still her main mission was like getting out of Agrabah and not having anyone tell her what to do with her life Mulan does the same thing she sees a problem she is like, okay, I'm going to go in the name of my father and join the army. That's what I'm going to go do. Tangled, Rapunzel, she leaves the tower. It's Flynn who's like the inciting incident, but he's trying to deceive her at the beginning. And But she ultimately, she again, wants to live beyond the confines of where she is. And I think most people kind of put a lot of praise onto films like... Um, like frozen because they do the whole like meta commentary thing um it's most famous with like Kristoff being talking to Anna and being like you married a man you just met like that's like that referential thing of like oh see haha like it's not that bad because we're acknowledging that marrying a man too quickly is bad within the context of the princesses so it's not that bad so we're we're good we are good feminists. And I think it just requires so much more nuance than that. More nuance than more people are, are willing to give it. And there, it kind of goes into the whole like girl bossification that tends to happen with Disney princesses. Um, and mainly on a lot of those like those YouTube video, music video parodies that involve the princesses, like changing the lines in any way of saying like, oh, I'm a princess or I'm, you know, this is what happened in this story. Again, bad faith media literacy readings. Um, but the, it just is a really bad faith reading of these characters. And I think they require a little bit more of a deeper, I wouldn't even say a deeper look, a more honest look. Like 
no one is saying that princesses are, you know, completely untouchable as role models and figures for for young viewers, but I I do think that they're not a complete net negative. And I think that's the main that's my main problem with them. And to their credit, the newer princesses definitely address a lot of the problems that these um bad faith critics have brought up. Like of I think Moana is a great example of that. Like she was the first Disney princess in a long time to not really have a love interest. Like a lot of her motivations are fueled solely for her own, like, you know, self-exploration and her own personal development. Like it doesn't really have anything to do um, with anyone else. She doesn't do it for love. She does it for herself and for her family. Uh, Raya and the last dragon, I know kind of have the same situation. And so I think that they're moving in a positive direction, at least with not solely dedicating the princess stories to just being about romance but even then they weren't all of them at least weren't only about romance they were just a part of them um and so I think just continuing to build upon that is is always going to be a, a good idea and ultimately the discretion of the viewer plays a role quite heavily there was in doing research for this episode a lot of the 2010s especially internet discourse around the princesses was stemmed from this one study that was done um that basically kind of said that like five-year-olds are tend to i guess because of the princesses tend to flock to i guess more standard gender roles but a lot of those articles a lot of newer articles that reference that that study i should say um have brought up that there was a follow-up study that was done with those same that same sex like that same group of children um who are now i think like 11 and like between 11 and 13 who this study found that they were more likely to have i guess like progressive ideas towards women and they were less inclined to want to engage with hyper masculine figures and everything like that so it feels studies like that feel like they don't exactly they're not analogous to this notion that disney princesses are these terrible role models like it is truly the 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 discretion of the viewer the discretion of the guardian or whoever the parent who is introducing these movies to their children one thing and i think we talked about it in the episode discussing um children's television programming is that co-viewing is a very very powerful tool um as much as you can watching things with with your kids or your, your the the little ones that you're watching seeing what it is that they're actually taking in so that you can understand it and then if there's something that's presented in that you know movie or tv show or whatever it is you can talk to them about it and say like hey how did you feel about that or you know hey this may reinforce a negative stereotype let's unpack this i think it's incredibly important for girls of color especially black girls um to have these convert like having these conversations with them um introducing the idea of intersectionality early on i think is incredibly important um in the face of 
this particular kind of brand of media. But ultimately, again, it's all about discretion. Like it is all about who is putting what in front of a child's eyeballs to to take in. That is the 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 end all be all of it all. Ultimately, I think Disney princesses, again, they're incredibly complex, more complex than I think we've given them credit for. They have a rich history and tapestry, and I think they are very good societal markers and are worth discussing in that way and having good faith arguments made either for or against them. But ultimately, they are, we should give them, we should give them more credit than, than we have. Um, and I don't know. They're they're definitely just worth talking about. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations. You're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You could tell me how you're feeling about the pod. And I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at the Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go and do a deep dive into the 2010s pop feminism readings on Disney princesses. I'm not going to remember all of that. Bestie, I get it. So I've left all that information in the description down below just for you. You're welcome. So as you guys know, um, or maybe you don't know, in the first episode, I talked about how there are there are five Wednesdays in May. And so today is the last episode where it's just going to be me talking to you. And I have a very special bonus episode discussing Disney princesses. But it's not just going to be me. I've brought in my good pal and the host of the House of Cinema podcast, Joe, to come on to the podcast. And we're going to do a Disney princess tournament um we had a blast we had a ball i'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode it was such a blast joe is always so fun to talk to and i think you guys are gonna love it um so be on the lookout for that and then at the beginning of june before we dive into our next subject matter i will be releasing a bonus very special bonus episode um themed around jurassic park so be on the lookout for that in the next couple of weeks, I'll be divulging into more details on it in next week's episode towards the end. Um, but I think it'll be, it's a different format. So if you listen to the afternoon special on your commute, this might, this particular episode might not be the best for that. Um, but it'll be a very fun little thing that we're, we're going to try out and see if you guys enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you will join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Galleon, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth 
as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now.